We are speaking uh, with the one and only uh, Ronnie Atkins uh, from, of course, uh, Pretty Maids. Uh, the new album is called One Shot. comes out March 12th, basically at the end of this week. And as we say here in Montreal, uh, bonjour, Ronnie. How are you? Bonjour, bitch. Yeah. I'm good. I'm good, Pl- man. Pleasure to talk to you. Now, uh, you, you may not, uh, well, in fact, you don't know this, but I spent uh, a large part of my childhood in uh, Denmark because my mom's Danish works for Denmark's radio. And so we spent a lot of time in Slalza and in Copenhagen, um, pretty much my entire, uh, up until about the age of 12, I was there all the time. But don't speak any Danish, but I have an affinity for, for all things Denmark. Red, white, uh, what was it? Red, white, dynamite. No, red and white. We are Danish dynamite. How does that go again? The the the, the soccer team thing. We are red. We, we are white. We, we are Danish we, dynamite. There we go. That's it. That's it. That's it. We are, you actually you told me last time we talked. Yeah, I did. So I let's let's uh, let's get into this uh, album one shot, and and uh, we will talk uh, about the health uh, as well, but not as much. I want to focus on music uh, first. Mm. Uh, Talking about doing this, uh, about doing this solo album, you have resisted for for many years. Uh, always focused on doing, you know, uh, Pretty Maids, Nordic Union, being a band guy. But this time you said, "Ah, all right, let's go for it." Uh, talk to me about about that decision and and deciding to to step out and be Ronnie for a change. Well, I think I was always running for somehow. Um, <laughs> True. The, the thing is that, that in the past, you know, because I've been doing this Nordic Union thing, I've been doing Avantasia, uh, I never really had the need or nor the desire to do anything um, out of the box, so to speak. Um, but, I mean, this was a decision was very much connected uh, partly to my uh, illness and, uh, and the fact that the world was in a lockdown. Uh, I couldn't do much. I mean, I couldn't do anything else really. I mean, I just had a, had a heavy, you know, diagnosis of well, stage four cancer, you know, and I mean, I had two options. I could sit down and feel pity for myself and do nothing or I could, uh, and watch series, whatever, you know, and, or I could focus on something good, which is what I chose, you know, to, 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 you know, to put the bad things aside and, do what I love do, doing the most of my life, sing and write, you know, that that's what I wanted to do. And and I had all these song ideas and stuff like that, and I was, was writing quite a bit at the time being as well, so it was kind of a, a, a logical step to take, I would say. It would say, and, and you're right, it, it does, of course, uh, tie into to the diagnosis. So So as we speak here on March 8th, 2021, where are you in terms of uh, recuperating or in terms of, of just your health? Are, are, you, are you on the path of getting better? Um, how are you feeling? Well, I'm feeling good. I mean, I've, I've been feeling good for a long time. I'm getting um, uh, immune therapy, you know, and that um, obviously keep the devil from my doorstep, so to speak. And uh, I've been feeling good for a long time. Um, and and this is now uh, now it well it was just after the lockdown last year so it was almost a year ago you know but what what they told me back then was that it was uh, I mean the diagnosis is still the same what they said was that uh, we cannot give you any guarantees how much time you have left you're not terminal it can be three months it could be three years I mean fully for many years you know but what I did I went in and read the statistics and that's really really bad reading so um, so I was I was in a kind of panic you know I mean uh, I panicked. For a long time, it took took me quite a while to cope with, and that's also I, I didn't go public with this until 
I think September, October last year, something like that. So, um, but um, the music was uh, was the most important thing for me. So I used it as some kind of a you know uh, to occupy myself with something positive and and as some kind of a musical therapy for myself to do this. Well, it it, it I mean it is therapy and, and music is very therapeutic. How how immersive was it then when when you said okay, I've got this diagnosis. We're on lockdown. You know, to wake up every morning and go, okay, I'm going to go in the studio, I'm going to go write something. How therapeutic was that? Because just sitting around staring at the wall, I mean, you get old real fast when you do that. So, so talk to me mm. about the healing power of that. Well, I basically, I basically said, uh, I just I talked to a psychologist and stuff like that at the time, which I've never done before. And, and, and she said that uh, I think it's very important, you know, to, to you try to you know, set a goal for yourself. And, and that's what I did. And I set the goal for myself, well, knowing that uh, uh, maybe I wouldn't even be alive when the album was done. So that's why it was done totally the, the other way around that, that what we normally do, totally upside down, that, that I actually sent my ideas up to Chris, Chris Laney, who produced the album in Stockholm. And he, he did a demo and I sent it back to me. I did the vocals. And I sent it back to him again, and then we did the instrumentation. So I just wanted to make sure that I did my part of the deal, you know, and got my vocals done and get the songs done. So it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was really pretty surreal. I can imagine. Now, in terms of the content, are these lyrically very revealing, and and they talk about the human condition and so on. How do you sort of approach the, 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 the lyrical content on this one? Was it sort of retrospective of, all right, here we are, I've got this thing going on, and let me talk about it? Or was it, no, i got to get away from that. Let's let's talk about something else. Yeah, but I, I couldn't get that out of my system. I mean, I, 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 there was like that topic was, was kind of stuck in my head, you know, for a long, long time, you know, because, I mean, it took me quite a, quite a while to deal with it. So, I mean, what I mean is that it was hard to write about, uh, you know, sex, drugs and rock and roll or Dungeons and Dragons at the time being. I mean, because it felt so much in my head. Oh, I can't hear you. Uh, there you are. Oh, there you are. Keep yeah. going. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Did you hear what I said? Or, I, I heard um, stuck in my head. That's all. I, I heard the stuck in my head part. But uh... Yeah, but I, but I mean, I, I that again, that was some kind of a therapy. You know, I, I just I decided to be pretty open about it, you know, and I, and I just the, the lyrics I wrote in the spring last year are very honest because that's how I felt at the time being. Um, and as I said, it was it was really hard to write about uh, like sex, drugs and rock and roll in the situation I was in. So uh it became what it became, and um, I, I like it, you know. But at the same time, as, as they're about my disease, there's, there's also some kind of a positive message in it, you know, that we got to live this one life we have. Yeah, you, re- you really do. We don't have much choice. Uh, I'm, I mean, one shot, that's what it's all people say, but is that because you only have one shot at this? I say I might just have this one shot. I hope I'll have a second shot. For sure, because I'm still writing and I still got a lot of ideas. But, but the message is basically not just me having a one shot. But we only have one shot at life, you know. Live in the now, uh, seize the day, you know, and get the best out of it. Uh, talking about uh, the, the one shot, when you're writing for yourself this time, and you're not writing for Nordic Union, it's not Avantasia, it's not uh, Pretty Maids. Um, 
do you do you purposely try to say something different? Sort of. How do you decide which one goes in the pile of Pretty Mage and which one is is a Ronnie song? Like, did you write a couple of songs and go, okay, that we're going to have to keep for Pretty Maids? Uh, do, are you saying something completely different, or will a fan pick this up and go, yeah, okay, I got this, I know what this is? <laughs> no, I mean, I had some ideas. As I said, I, I had some old ideas on my iPhone. I actually used some of it, you know, where I'd like written like a chorus for PM from 2017 or something like that. I, I used that for the song called I Prophesize. I, I particularly remember, you know, but but it, some of the stuff wouldn't go on a Pretty Mates album, I think. Um, and, and particularly lyrically. I mean, I, the, 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 these some of these songs are too personal to be a band thing you know because i'm i'm speaking very much for myself on some of these songs uh but basically you know a good a good song is a good song when you write a good song either a piano or a guitar you know you know it's a good song if you remember the the hook line stuff like and you got you got a great melody then it's a matter of how you wrap it up you know how you produce it we we, we did that with pretty mace on several songs that was basically kind of you know very commercial pop songs that we sort of produced into to, to be suitable on, on a pretty mates record you know so i didn't really think too much about it. it it was for me it was it was about you know writing some good stuff writing some good songs and then try to we decided to produce it in some to you know into something that people that's been following me and whatever i've been involved in for the last 30 40 years so they could you know kind of identify themselves with it uh talking about working with chris obviously he's in the band uh, pretty maids with you uh was it different having him behind the uh, producer's desk and 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 giving you some instructions and some some theories or was it comforting to have somebody you knew and go okay he understands what i want to get to yeah because that's what he did you know we were pretty much on par on this you know and, and we 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 like the same kind of music and stuff like that mostly and uh, he yeah, he did a great job, and it was such a smooth process. Even though we did it the way we did it, and we didn't really see each other only I think once when we did the drums during the recording of the album. And uh, now it went totally smooth. I know the guy; he's a lovable guy, and, uh, and we always had a good relationship. So it wasn't it wasn't like he told me you do this and you do that. That's not the way it worked. You know, we pretty much agreed on everything. You know, so it was. Uh, it's a smooth process, absolutely, an absolutely smooth process. So, so let me go back into the into the history of Pretty Maids for for a little bit. Uh, beginning of March, uh, Metallica celebrated the anniversary of Master of Puppets, and uh, Fleming Rasmussen, of course, uh, tweeted and Facebooked about that occasion. Obviously, a great occasion. But you worked with him on Sin Decade in 1992. <laughs> uh, talk to me about working with Fleming and and his process, because obviously, what he did with Metallica worked uh what were you looking for in a producer at that time and did you get it from Fleming and was there stuff you look back and go man that was smart he's yeah he's good no wonder he no wonder Metallica is so popular I think we actually we worked with uh Fleming for the first time in uh in 19 beginning of 1987 when he mixed uh half of the future world album that's, oh, that's right the first and you know, I mean, Fleming is such a great guy, and it's like he—he's also a super easygoing guy, you know. So I mean, 
and we did we did a couple of albums with him but that's that's years ago now but uh and then particularly the syndicate we had those a great great chemistry in the studio and everything so and fleming was the most uh notable rock and roll guy in denmark at the time being in the 80s because he, he started doing the he did rainbow as well richie blackmore's rainbow he did two albums with them and uh, so he was the obvious choice if you wanted to do some heavy stuff and he did a great job back then man. absolutely yeah, yeah, and and I tried to avoid Future World because uh, that was the Eddie Kramer album, which you know didn't go so well. Yeah, but Fleming, Fleming missed five of the songs, and uh, Kevin Ellison, who did Journey in Europe, and those bands uh, mixed uh, three, four songs or something like that, the more commercial ones. Yeah, and and just great sounding records. Uh, just real quick, in terms of now, we talked a little bit about the uh, the pandemic and having you shut down and stuff. Pretty Maids to me, and you correct me if I'm wrong, is a band that really makes it by touring and by being out there and by selling merch and, and by being a live band. How much has this affected you in terms of what you're able to do? Because listen, I'm in North America. We don't hear Pretty Maids on the radio. We should hear Pretty Maids on the radio, but we don't hear Pretty Maids on the radio. So you coming out there and you playing a show, to me, seems to be ultimately important. Um, what has this done to, to sort of been to be, uh, you know, sidelined for a year. Uh, it, it's been very frustrating uh, for us as well as it has been for, I would say, almost everybody, you know, all bands. And that's where you make your money, you know. Um, it was very frustrating, first of all, for this band that before the, the p- pande- pandemic uh, came along, I mean, I got sick before that, and it was very frustrating for everybody in the band and for the whole band situation because we had a brand new album on Dress Your Madness coming out in November. We had a lot of gigs lined up in December and a whole European tour uh, lined up in January, February 2020, uh, which we knew we wouldn't be able to, to you know, to, to, to be able to do because um, I was going through chemotherapy and radiation therapy and all that crap, so to speak, and... Uh, so it was a very frustrating time, and since that, it's been frustrating. Actually, we haven't really seen each other since we played the last gig in, in I think, beginning of September 2019, and everybody is, like, doing their own things right now, I think, projects, as far as I know, and stuff like that. So uh, let's see when all this uh, pandemic is over. Hopefully, the sooner the better, you know, so we can get back to normal and people can go and see a live concert again. I think we're all hunger for that. Yeah, it, it definitely is something uh, that, that will... That we need uh, in terms of the band Pretty Maze, because you, you were on this tour, it did get cut short. When everything opens up, do you go back and keep touring on that album, or do you say to yourself, "Okay, listen, we're going to have to make new music"? And are you able to think about that at this point, given the, the health situation, or is Pretty Maze like right now the furthest thing from your mind? Like, don't even talk to me about that. I have other uh, issues to deal with. I have no uh, plans at all, basically, for neither this or that, you know, because, it, as you say, my health uh, situation really, very much depends. It's hard for me to plan anything. It's hard for me to say that in six months, uh, let's do this tour, or nine months, we'll do this tour. I can't, I'm living in intervals in three months, because from scan to scan, you know, because, I mean, the diagnosis is what it is. Right now, I feel great. And if it was right now, I would go out on tour. I don't know if I can do six gigs a week because I lost some lung capacity and stuff like that, but um, my voice is still there and uh, there was nothing in the whole wide world right now that I'd rather do than go back on stage. That's uh, one of my new goals, so yep. to speak. So 
but we haven't made any any plans nor have i made any plans uh, for anything else when it comes to live let's see how the situation um, develops uh, both with uh, the whole uh, covid-19 situation and and my health situation so right now there's no plans but we haven't we in fact we never played one single song from Andres Your Madness because I was already sick when the album came out you know wow Wow. And, 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 you know, Kingmaker and Undress Your Madness are just fantastic records. And, and I want to ask you this uh, about that uh, real quick. I had this discussion with a friend the other day and he said, you know, he said from 2000 onwards, American bands uh, that we all know and love have been putting out sort of paint by numbers, sort of eh, kind of records. Whereas you look at Pretty Maids, you look at Thunder, you look at uh, FM, you look at all these bands from Europe. And it seems to be that they're releasing the best music of their career. Do you think that the European scene is alive and vibrant? Because we always hear this rock is dead nonsense, which it, it which is not. Um, but there seems to be a, a greater urgency going on in Europe. Do you feel that way? I don't know. I mean, um, I can. Well, I, all I can say is that personally, I'm very proud, and that 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 we in pretty much for you know, for, especially two thousand and. Since 2010, when we did the Pandemonium album, we had like kind of looked like second coming or, or like a musical rebirth somehow, you know, did things a little differently. And since that, I think we've been pretty solid and and uh, pretty constant in, in in doing good albums. Personally speaking, um, I gotta I gotta say that 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 that's great. But I don't know I don't know if there's any difference between European bands or American bands in that way. I think it's a matter of being able to. Write a good song, generally, you know, and and having some kind of a vision for it. Yeah, and I and I think we've been really solid the last ten, eleven years. Kept a very good level. I think your level. I think all the bands I've mentioned, their level has actually upped. I would say that for 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 a lot of folks, you look at Kingmaker and Louder Than Ever, and some of the it might be some of the best stuff you've done. And that does that's not to insult the earlier stuff, but you've you've been on fire. I mean. Yeah, but as I said, you know, we had like, uh, we I don't know why what happened. We just had the spirit back, you know, and, and, and the desire to do it again for good, you know, some, some 10, 11 years ago. And uh, I think it was a combination of different things, you know. Uh, up from 2002, you know, our management went bankrupt. And so we were in, in some weird turmoil for, for a couple of years. We didn't really know what to do. Didn't really have the fire. We did an album called Wake Up to the Real World in 2006, but that was some kind of a half-hearted attempt, you know. It, it never really kicked off, I think, you know. But since Pandemonium in 2010, we, we, we started working with producer Jacob Hansen, started teaching in the guitars. It gave it gave the music a different touch, I think. And, uh, yeah. well, since that, we've been on a roll and we've been seeing it at concerts also because... Uh, there's a new generation of fans, um, you know, popping up. So that that's been really cool. Oh, it's 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 been great. Uh, get, let's get back to a one shot. You've had, of course, a Key Marcello and Pontus and and Chris and a bunch of others come in and, and play on the record. Um, talk to me about having that and not just having you know four guys uh, in a room and let's do a record and bringing in the different players just to sort of have everybody in there. Talk to me about about the different guitarists that you brought into the record. Well, as a matter of fact, I would say that it was, it was mostly Chris that brought him in, you know, because he knew all these guys up in Stockholm. I also know, I knew Pontus Norgrain, who was an amazing guitarist, but it was like, 
Chris um, that brought in Kimasello, for instance, and I brought in Oliver Hartman from Aventasia and stuff like that. I think it's great because it gives uh, the album, not only just talking about guitarists, right, but I mean, also the other musicians done a great job, you know, the Pontus Ekberg on bass, Linear, Alan Sorensen, my old Pretty Mates members, and Morton Senna. Did a great job. Linnea Wikstrom, it was great to have a female vocalist on the album, you know, because it gives the songs totally different, diverse identities, kind of almost gospel to some of it, you know, which is, uh, and she's been, she's she's fantastic. So, so that that's really fun. Well, that it, was great. it adds in texture, which is what you're always looking for. You, you want to have some different, uh, uh, well, texture to, to go into a song. Um, since you mentioned Aventasia, that, that is the only time I've ever had a chance to see you perform live is when Avantasia came to Montreal. Um, talk to me about that project. And, you know, Tobias does a, does a great job. Um, but what's it like for you to get in there and just, you know, sing somebody else's song, sing somebody else's vision, and just be a guest and not have to worry about whether it's, it's good or bad or sells or doesn't sell and just show up and just be a singer? What's fantastic. It's like a paid vacation, you know. <laughs> well, yeah. Avantage is great. I'm a very good friend with Toby. Actually, Toby asked me to, to participate in this project all the way back in 1999 on the first Metal Doctor album they did. But I didn't know who he or Ed Guy or Avantage was back then. And I wouldn't have done it anyway at that time. But it's been great for me. I've been doing three tours with them now. And it's like one big family and there's so many different singers, but there's no ego shit and, and all that. Even all those alpha males are there, you know, there's no, there's no ego. It's just, a, it's really like a one big family and it's, it's great. And there's a lot of people coming to the shows and particularly in Europe, in South America. And, and it's been great. Uh, I've been going to countries I've never been to. I've never been to Australia before. That was amazing. And we also toured US. It was great too. And Montreal was a fantastic city actually. Montreal's a great city. Um, let me let them in before we wrap up here. It's been 40 years. The band formed in 1981. Uh, first album came comes out three years later. Looking back at the career, are, are you surprised that it, that, it, that it lasted this long? Or, or did you expect it to last this long? And, and then let's talk a little bit about why European markets said, yes, we love this band and we keep going. And what were some of the difficulties in the North American market for you? Well, I mean, first of all, to answer the first part of your question, uh, you got to remember back then when I started out in this band, I was 16, 17, I think. Mm -hmm. And back then I thought that when you were 30, you were an old fart, you know. But that changed dramatically with the years. <laughs> um, that changes when you hit 31, you go, no, I'm not. I'm, I'm still young. I'm still young. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know how it is. You know? oh, yes, I, yes, I do. Yeah, my daddy always said the best age is between forty and fifty. I got to, I got to agree with him actually. But um, no, but but uh, no, I, of course I didn't expect the band to be forty years old. Um, um, but here we are. Uh, yeah. Time flies when you have fun, right? Something something but, uh, to be very the, proud of, actually. The other, yeah. The other part of the question is, but it, that's a that's a matter of different circumstances. I mean. Back in 87, we actually had the chance to go out with Whitesnake, who was, probably, of course, you know, huge in 87, mm -hmm. uh, that album. And yeah. we could have gone with, out with them in America for three weeks. And we were played on MTV and stuff like that. And, and the whole focus was on, on melodic, hard rock and heavy metal at the time being. It was the, it was the shit back then, right? And, um, 
And we couldn't do it because we we had an obligation obligation with Deep Purple in Europe for their European tour. But I mean, sometimes I'm well, thinking about it. I wonder if we went on that tour because the band was really on fire back then, and we were young and all that. And uh, if we went on that tour, we probably would have jumped on another tour. And if we found the right management and stuff like that, so that it's probably a, a big reason that we didn't have the right management. We have a Danish yeah. manager who know how to deal with it and and our record company was based in Copenhagen I mean it was CBS Records and that later became Sony Music but we were not signed directly to New York or London or something like that if we were I'm sure it would have been a totally different situation but uh, well, actually, we did put in Europe so I, I want to ask you about that because when I think of Pretty Maids and I see Pretty Maids with Whitesnake I think that's a perfect bill I mean that's a that's a perfect bill I think Pretty Maids and Deep Purple. I go, mm, that's kind of that's kind of strange. Uh, w- would you look at that as being a, a mistake in your career? Because uh, North America, had you been here, that could have been a huge turning point. Those three weeks could have made a huge difference. Absolutely. I mean, I'm not, that's what I'm saying. I sometimes I I think about what, what, how, how we would would have been able to change everything, you know, how, how our, our fate could have changed totally. Yes. I'm pretty sure, and I actually talk, I agree with you with the music that Whitesnake did on the 87 album and, and what we did were, were closer, you know, than closer yes. to what Whitesnake than what, what Deep Purple did, of course, you know. But that said, uh, the Deep Purple tour was great. And we of course. We played the, played the big Monsters of Rock uh, shows in, in Germany, or at least one of them and stuff like that, you know. So that that was the sole found that was basically sort of the foundation for the success we we have today. And we still have a market in Germany, you know, because we, we toured a lot in Germany in the 80s. Uh, but I'm also thinking of the, of the fan base. You, you look at a, a 17-year-old metalhead in, in, you know, North Dakota compared to a, a Deep Purple fan who's more of a, you know, muso and a more of, you know, it's, it's a different fan. Um, who who made that decision? Is that a band decision or is that the management that just went, oh, no, you should go to Deep Purple. It'd be much better for you. Trust us. Who makes well, that? Well, it, it it was a we, we, it was a deal we'd done, you know, that we opened up for them, and that was a big tour for us in Europe, you know, because and that tour was was part of breaking the band in Europe. At the same time, Future World was hugely successful in Germany, so it's not that I regret that. I wish I could be to, uh, two places at the same time. Right. You know, two places. Yeah. I'm just saying the Whitesnake tour would definitely could could have been a game changer, no doubt about that. Oh, I guarantee it. Would but be. I mean. Yeah, well, that's it. It's always easy to say we should have done this and done that. Of course. But, hmm. So, so uh, in terms of one shot, uh, now that we're still, I mean, we're still in lockdown, we're still not where we should be. Do you start thinking about the second album or is it really, look, I've done one, leave me alone. I don't need to be, a, you know, I'll do Nordic Union, I'll go do Pretty Maids, but I've done the one Ronnie album. Uh, or did it give you a thirst and a hunger to go, okay. Let's go. Let's do another ten. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Nordic Union is not in the cards, and I'm, I'm just thinking the only thing I actually want to do and I can do, I'm still, I still got a lot of ideas left, you know, and I'm still writing new stuff, you know. So, and I can't. There will be no touring here for the next uh, six months, I guess. I, I can't see that happening. So I might as well spend my time writing some new stuff, you know, and really start recording it. I mean, I, there's no deadline, there's no specific plans, but. Uh, that's probably what I'll do. I, I'm all I'm all for it. Uh, an album in uh, in March and an album in October. I, I'm good to go. Let's bring it on. 
you know? Yeah, 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 man. You're optimistic, buddy. <laughs> I, I'm optimistic, but I lo- listen, I love my music. And, and by the way, one shot, uh, since we haven't really talked about the actual song songs, are great. You listen to a Subjugated, Real, Scorpio, uh, and then all the one, you know, one by one. This is a fantastic album. I mean, uh, congratulations. I mean, you, you did not just, you know, crap out some nonsense. You put out a fantastic album that'll be on a lot of top 20 lists when we talk in December. Guaranteed. Oh, Guaranteed. Have it hear that, man. I hope so. I oh, no. So. I, I I can tell you. This this ain't this ain't crap. This is this is top quality. <laughs> this is, you know, you need to buy this album, folks. Don't stream this nonsense. Buy it. Buy it, buy it, buy it, because you will want to get this signed. It's that good. Um, anyway, as we say uh, in, uh, well, as my, as my mom say, uh, says, uh, thank you very much. Merci beaucoup. <laughs> Welcome, man. Always a pleasure. And uh, fo- folks, One Shot is available. Well, by the time you hear this, it'll be available now. Go pick it up. And I kid you not, this is a fantastic album, and you, you will love uh, listening to this. Thank you, Ronnie. You're welcome, man. Nice talking to you, Mitch. Cheers. Always a pleasure. Okay. All good. There we go.